ever wonder about the pillow talk of terrorists? What do you think they talk about to their wives at night? Hmm, a very intriguing thing to think about. Well, welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. <laughs> Terrorism and sex, that's what we have today. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Well, <laughs> today, because of the fact that this past week, there was a hearing for Omar Mateen's wife, her name is Noor Salman. Uh, Omar Mateen, as you will remember, is the terrorist who shot up the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida. And uh, he killed 49 people, he injured 53, it was the deadliest mass shooting of the United States, and it happened on June 11th of 2016. She is in jail, and she had a hearing because her defense attorneys are trying to get her out. <laughs> and um, the judge, of course, had to decide whether to keep her in or not. Now, before I get into all of that and what happened specifically with her, um, you know, people, well, my, my call to action today is lock them up. Um, people who are wives of terrorists, people who are other family members of terrorists, and people who are friends of terrorists, their associates, um, many of them know all along or at some point before the attack what is going to happen and yet they don't let the authorities know. Now, I'm not saying, I know what you're thinking, isn't this a little harsh, um, but when there has been proven to be um, enough knowledge that the person had that the terrorist was going to commit this attack, then they at least need to be tried. Whether they are to be, you know, what their sentence should be is something for the jury to decide but they need to be investigated. And, and we need to realize that more of them know more than they're saying, particularly the wives of the terrorists. Um, we have as another example, Catherine Russell. She is the wife of Tamarin, Tamerlan Sarnayev, who was one of the Boston Marathon bombers. And she's still being investigated. She hasn't been punished at all. She's still denying that she knew anything about it. Of course, um, you know, there, there is reason to believe otherwise, uh, since it seems as though he and his brother watched terrorist videos in their home and so on. So she still has not, not gotten any punishment. Then there's Tashfeen Malik. You might say that she, she already was punished because she was killed along with her husband, Syed Rizwan Farouk. They were the San Bernardino terrorists. Uh, she didn't make any secret of the fact that she knew what her husband was planning because she wanted to go along with him and create the attack. Um, you know, the, the active shooter attack. And so she was punished by, by die. <laughs> Yet, there seems to be some kind of a stereotype, some kind of a conscious or unconscious bias against believing 
that wives, especially women who have children, like all of these women had, you know, Nora Solomon, the wife of Omar Mateen, they had um, a bo little boy, he's four years old now, uh, Tashfeen Malik and her husband, the San Bernardino terrorists, they had a, a child, a young child, um, and a, a baby essentially, and Catherine Russell, the wife of the Boston Marathon bomber, they had a young child. I mean, you know, it, it does, uh, it is difficult to understand, I mean, we, we, it's natural for us to not want to believe that a mother could be a terrorist or that a mother could uh, go along with or not report her husband um, when she knows that he is going to go on a terrorist attack. I mean, it's hard, we don't want to believe that mothers, I mean, even when it has nothing to do with terrorism, just in general, we don't want to believe that mothers can kill their own babies or that mothers can put their babies in danger, or that mothers can think it's okay to support their husbands um, who are terrorists and essentially leave their children fatherless. And, and in the case of the San Bernardino killers, motherless as well. So um, people who don't tell about what they suspect um, the radicalization of their relative or friend or acquaintance need to face justice. Terrorists face uh, lead double lives. And, you know, certainly on the outside, of course, they pretend that they're not terrorists and they seem to do a pretty good job, unfortunately. But when they're home, they let their guard down and their wives know what they're really thinking and feeling especially when it comes to pillow talk. So I'm going to continue talking about the wife of Omar Mateen because the Orlando terrorist attack is in the news now. And she's a great example of what needs to happen to her and what needs to happen to wives in the future who, don't, who didn't do anything to stop their husband, even though they knew or should have known that their husband was planning a terrorist attack. Well, um, Noor uh, Solomon is 30 years old. She's accused of aiding and abetting her husband in providing support to a foreign terrorist organization and obstruction of justice. She was recently arrested at her mother's home uh, in California. And um, she had this hearing this week where uh, her defense attorneys were trying to get her released and the prosecutors were trying to get her to be kept in jail. Now, interestingly, the judge decided that he ordered that she should stay in jail, at least for now, to have a psychiatric evaluation because she is depressed and has been on suicide watch. So for now, she remains in custody. Now, um, suicide watch, suicide, think about that, the wife of a terrorist. It's very interesting. I mean, she could, could well in, be suicidal. I mean, for one thing, she just lost her husband, although as I'll describe, she, uh, he was abusive to her, physically and emotionally abusive. Um, but, you know, she, she still probably misses him. 
Um, she certainly misses him as having the father for her child. And, um, but besides that, how about her wanting to kill herself because then she could be a martyr just like her husband. Now, you know, that may seem strange if you don't want to believe that she has the same radical Islamic terrorist beliefs as her husband, but not if she does. I mean, that, that's, um, if she was exposed, and I'll describe how she was, exposed to videos, jihadist videos, and so on, she could well have been um, brainwashed as well. So now, the other interesting aspect of her having a psychiatric evaluation is, uh, of course, part of that is to see whether she is able to, uh, whether she is competent to be put on trial. In other words, whether she is able to uh, assist in her own defense, um, being put on trial for these charges, aiding and abetting her husband and, and uh, obstruction of justice. Now, but another aspect of this is her defense attorney is trying to say that she has a fragile mental state and he wants to use this as a way to um, argue that she has diminished capacity as a defense. In other words, that she shouldn't be held as responsible because of this diminished capacity. Now, um, Noor is a Palestinian. She emigrated from the West Bank to a suburb of San Francisco. She was divorced from her first husband, who was abusive. That marriage was arranged. And then she went on a dating site called Arab Lounge, where she met Mateen. Now, these dating sites, I hope to goodness, uh, the FBI and the CIA and uh, people like that, are monitoring these dating sites because they seem to be quite a hotbed. Get that hotbed pillow talk. Okay, I said we were gonna be talking about sex and terrorism. Um, they seem to be a hotbed for terrorist couples hooking up. That's how the um, San Bernardino uh, terrorists met on a terrorist on a uh, on a website, a dating website, where apparently um, people are able to hook up with other wannabe terrorists. So um, her attorney is saying that uh, she needs treatment because of this fragile mental state, uh, which is kind of interesting because he's also arguing for her to be released. Now, if someone is really suicidal, and you know, I and she could well be, if someone is really suicidal, they are not supposed to be released into the world uh, and go to outpatient treatment um, if they are seriously, you know, here she's on suicide watch in the prison, so in other words, 24-7. And um, if she went out into the world and went home to her mother and if she were really suicidal, she would have a lot more opportunity to commit suicide not being watched 24-7. So um, I didn't hear about anything or read about anything where he was asking for her to be transferred from the jail to a psychiatric hospital for uh, to be watched 24-7. So there's kind of a 
a flaw in that argument. Now, her attorney says that though she is Muslim, he denies that she is religious and certainly not uh, a fanatical, um, fanatical about her religion. He denies that she's a terrorist. He claims that she didn't know anything about what her husband was planning and that she was a battered woman. Now, I totally believe that she was a battered woman because we already know that Omar Mateen's first wife has claimed that he was, that he battered her and that she wouldn't um, have been able to escape were it not for her family helping her. So, you know, I get that. I think that's true. In fact, they, I think they both said that he takes steroids, he took steroids, and that, of course, that made him more volatile and more abusive. So that's all true. Um, and the steroids, you know, the more he took, the, more, the longer he took them, the more he was abusive. And her attorney is saying that Nora is just a simple young woman going along and you know, without a clue, right? Um, and then he also complains that, that the government is going after her only because she's alive and uh, Mateen is dead. He died in the attack. He was shot in the attack and killed. And so she's the only one that the government who can go after, that the government can go after. Um, he also claims that as a defense for why, you know, to try to prove that she knew nothing, that she bought a Father's Day card for Omar. Um, and she also bought a t-shirt for him that uh, says world's greatest dad. And then she went to bed on the night of the attack. Now, again, the night of the attack, the Pulse nightclub attack was June 11th, 2016. Father's Day was June 19th. That's a week later. Now, <laughs> it wasn't like she was going to expecting to uh, give him these gifts the next morning. Um, you know, it was a whole week away. So what it seems to me, it's what's more likely the case is that she and Omar planned this, uh, planned for her to buy these things as an alibi, as a way to try to prove that she knew nothing. You know, she, she was expecting him to be alive on Father's Day. Well, that's all very interesting, but um, the prosecutor, and I know, I know you're thinking, why am I being so hard on this poor lady? Maybe she still really didn't know. Well, listen to this. The prosecutors have a lot more compelling uh, arguments. The, she was interrogated after the attack, the nightclub attack. She was interrogated and uh, for 16 to 18 hours. And at first, she lied and she denied knowing anything about anything. But then she gave conflicting accounts and then uh, she admitted a number of things that are very, very uh, damaging to her, uh, you know, for her to try to prove her innocence or, um, you know, that she didn't know anything. Um, she admitted that she knew that Omar left that night with a rifle and a backpack of ammunition. But of course she says, well, you know, he was a security guard, so this was typical. Uh, you know, he was often carrying rifles and ammunition. Uh, there are also reports that she went with him 
when he went to buy uh, the rifle and or ammunition. Um, also, she admitted to having watched ISIS recruiting videos and jihad videos for at least the past the two years before the attack. And she was upset um, because her son was in the room when her husband was playing these videos. Now, that kind of information, you know, makes it really seem credible. I mean, someone doesn't, and her, of course, her defense attorneys are trying to say that she was, she didn't, well, it's true that she didn't have an attorney with her when she was being interrogated, and her defense is saying that they wore her down, and she admitted to things um, that, uh, that really, you know, she didn't um, do, you know, she had just been worn down by all these hours of interrogation. But when someone adds pieces of information that are so credible, like that she was upset because her son was in the room when these videos were playing, that makes it seem very believable. Then also she admitted to at least three trips to case the joints. The Pulse nightclub, she went with her husband to case these places for the attack. The Pulse nightclub, downtown Disney, which is in Orlando. It's a promenade of shops, restaurants, and, and movie theaters. And City Place, which is in Palm Beach. It's an upscale entertainment complex. And um, now... Uh, Apparently, after she cased these places, uh, her her husband was asking her which one she, he was asking her to help him pick out which place to attack, which place would make the biggest splash. Now, really, you know, I mean, that's another one of those little details that makes it seem very credible because you don't if you're if you're interrogated and and you're being forced to admit certain things, you might sort of begrudgingly say certain things, but when you add details that are very realistic, it makes it hard to then afterwards argue that, oh no, I was just being uh, pressured into admitting these things, just to saying yes to the things that they were asking me. Um, because for example, they wouldn't have likely asked her, did your husband ask you which one would make a bigger splash? Um, then, months before the attack, her husband added her name to his life insurance. Now, okay, you could kind of say, well, yeah, it's normal for husbands to add their wives to their life insurance. In fact, you know, he should have done that uh, as soon as they were married, which was in 2011. Um, but, you know, the fact that he did it then <laughs> should have made her wonder why he was thinking that he was going to die. And then much more um, significant than that is that on June 1st, so 10 days before the attack, they went to the bank together and he added her to his bank accounts as a POD, which means payable on death. Duh. <laughs> you know, really, first, first, I mean, either she's an idiot or she knew a lot more than she is even so far admitting. Because, because that, you know, that, I mean, putting all these things together, that should have made her question what was going on. Why did this man all of a sudden think that he was going to die? And then they went on a $30,000 shopping spree just before the attack. 
and this shopping spree included $8,000 for a diamond ring for her. Hmm, hush money maybe? Hmm, something that they might have agreed upon at, during pillow talk? Hmm, uh, that was hush money, a hush gift. You know, he was a security guard. $30,000 is a lot of money for a security guard to spend. Now, you can kind of understand why he would want to do that, knowing that these were his last days on Earth. But uh, again, that certainly should have made her wonder, like, honey, why are you spending all our money? <laughs> and why are you buying me a diamond ring? I didn't get you anything. All right, I know, I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't. This is not funny, but you know, it's gallows humor, literally. Then there's, there are different reports about um, him texting her during the attack and asking her if she, had, if she heard any news, like he wanted to know what the news, you know, he wanted to be on the news. He did want to make a big splash. He wanted to know this was in the middle of the attack and he wanted to know what the news was saying about the attack. He wanted to see his face on television. Well, I don't know if he could have, well, yeah, could, I guess he could have seen it on his iPhone. <laughs> And he wanted to know what the world knew. He wanted to know how famous he was. And then there are varying attacks about her calling him and whether they spoke to each other or texted each other and so on. There was some kind of communication for sure. So um, the prosecutors are saying that she's a risk to the public. And um, I think that that's true. Certainly, certainly one would have to prove that she's not. Um, because if indeed she knew these things all along and watched all these videos and all of that, who is to say, how are we to know that she has not been influenced in the same way to be a terrorist herself? Now, also, in terms of the obstruction of justice, um, uh, she, the night of the attack, she told her parents and the police that her husband went to dinner with a friend. So, you know, really, there's just too much here to uh, believe that she didn't know anything about it. Now, um, why didn't she tell? Why didn't she uh, report her husband early on, you know, maybe after the first uh, scouting trip? Why didn't she tell her husband? what they were doing, what, you know, tell her husband, I mean, tell, well, why didn't she tell her husband not to do this? And why didn't she tell the authorities that she suspected that her husband was doing this? If only not, if, you know, if it weren't, if she didn't care about people that he was going to kill, um, why didn't she care about the fact that she was going to be, he was going to be leaving their child without a father? So, um, you know, of course, the defense for that is going to be, besides the fact that she didn't know anything, the defense is going to be, well, he was um, terribly abusive. And if she would have, you know, told him not to do it or told, contacted the authorities, he would have killed her or he would have been, um, you know, extremely even more abusive than he had already been, or certainly that he could have killed her, and especially since he had all this, uh, all this ammunition and all these guns around and so on, um, you know, that, and because, because husbands um, are, husbands who are batterers um, are particularly violent when they think that their wives or girlfriends 
have, um, are going to abandon them or have betrayed them in some way. So yes, she would have been under a greater danger. Um, however, there are ways of notifying the authorities without, uh, without identifying who you are. She could have called up and given an anonymous tip. She didn't have to say it was, she was his wife. Um, she could have just said, uh, you know, I, there's a man, Omar Mateen, um, who uh, has been scouting locations or who, um, you know, yes, could they then tell him that and then he would know it was her. I mean, yes, there's all of these possibilities, but she could just say there's reason to believe that um, you really need to investigate Omar Mateen. Now, here's the other aspect to that, though. Um, Omar Mateen had been investigated by the FBI, as you will remember, and he was dropped from their watch list. They stopped watching him. So, um, however, as it got closer to the attack, and as his wife saw that the pace of everything was building up, um, and maybe she knew and maybe she didn't know whether he was still on their watch list, but certainly there would have been reason to contact the police, the FBI, again, I mean, you know, she would be contacting them for the first time, but I mean, to contact them and say, um, you know, you might want to take another look at this man who you forgot about. Now, I, um, one of the things that I do is I work as a psychiatric expert witness, and I've worked in a number of battered women cases, and, and I've worked on both sides, the side of the woman and the side of whoever it is uh, that is in a, a case against them, civil or criminal. And um, battered women are, do become incredibly meek, uh, scared, um, and particularly afraid of their husband, um, and particularly afraid to leave their husband. But they um, don't necessarily condone or a terrorism or become a terrorist. So, and there has been nothing so far of uh, Noor saying that she was afraid to leave her husband. So that defense is only going to go so far. Um, let us get to the uh, Ask the Terrorist Therapist letter and email part of the program. Um, I'm going to um, read an email that I got, and I want to remind you there to please contact me and with your questions uh, or comments. And there are various ways to do this. Um, one is to go to my Twitter page, which is at Dr. Carol MD. So that's at D R C A R O L E M D, or go to my terrorist therapist. Facebook page, which is at Carol Lieberman, MD, at C-A-R-O-L-E-L-I-E-B-E-R-M-A-N-M-D. Um, and so you can send messages and, and through those pages, and soon 
Um, my website will be finished. My terrorist therapist website will be finished and you'll be able to uh, contact me through there as well. So for today, let's go to a letter, an email from Maggie, um, who is in Washington. And Maggie says, hey, terrorist therapist, what's up with all these people who are friends and family of terrorists? You mean to tell me they didn't know that the person is dangerous and might cause an attack? Why don't they call the police and ask for an investigation? And why don't they do more thorough investigating of the people who are around the terrorists? Okay, well, I've answered your question to some degree, but let me just go over. Why don't they call the police and ask for an investigation? Well, the easy answer, the primary answer is fear. Um, their fear, I mean, and I'm not just talking about wives now, family, friends, co-workers, anybody who knows someone who seems to be becoming radicalized. The per people don't call the authorities because they're afraid of being suspected themselves. They're afraid of, in other words, putting themselves under an investigation of being suspected of being a terrorist, you know, like birds of a feather flock together, that kind of thing. If you know a terrorist, maybe you're a terrorist. So there's that. And then, um, of course, as I was talking about before, that if a, a, a wife is being abused by her husband, who's a terrorist, um, that she has, um, she would be afraid of him finding out that she contacted them. But, you know, one would hope, whatever the relationship is to a wannabe terrorist, uh, that people would put the, the, the better good, the more, you know, the societal good over fears for themselves. Um, and then why isn't there a more thorough investigation of the people who are, um, who are the terrorists, you know, when, when they are suspected terrorists and after they commit an attack? Indeed, um, investigation of the people who are around the terrorists. So, yes, indeed, um, there needs to be more, a more serious investigation, like what I was saying before about Catherine Russell, for example, the wife of the Boston Marathon bomber. Um, who has escaped being in jail for all these years, who's, who was still being interrogated or still being investigated after all of these years. I mean, uh, at least she's being investigated. But, but yes, there needs to be more um, investigation of, of the people around the person who turns out to be a terrorist. And why isn't there more thorough? I mean, look at Omar Mateen, who they stopped watching, even though they already had been notified about him. Um, you know, the pro this is actually an increasing problem because the increasing number of lone wolves and terrorist um, sympathizers, I mean, people watching terrorist videos, the number is, is, it gets greater every day of people being influenced by terrorists. And so the number of FBI and CIA need to be greater in order to investigate the people who they do become aware of, no less the people who are around them, um, either before or after they commit a terrorist attack. 
So, you know, obviously they get, this gets rather expensive and unwieldy. But the sooner that there are more thorough investigations, um, the sooner we can crack down on terrorists and people who are wannabe terrorists before they actually commit a terrorist attack. Well, I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Uh, my conclusion for this is um, please, you know, they, they talk about uh, if you see something, say something. This isn't just about bags left at airports uh, or bags left around on street corners. This is also if you um, have some kind of inkling that someone might be beginning to be radicalized, there are anonymous ways of letting the police, letting the FBI, CIA, letting these, these authorities know about it. And you can be anonymous or not anonymous. But, um, you know, it's the number of, of attacks where there was some kind of notification and where the, you know, these things were, these people wound up being, um, uh, going under the radar, in other words, after they were watched, um, they, the, the authorities stopped watching them. Obviously, if there were people like <laughs> Nora Salman, the wife of Omar Mateen, who would, you know, say, hey, <laughs> hey, I don't think you should have stopped watching my husband, then just think, we could have prevented the deaths of 49 people and the injuries of over 50 people in places like the nightclub shooting in Orlando. So thank you for listening. And uh, again, I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist.